Well, good evening, everyone. Grace and peace. My name is Steve Brooks, uh, one of the pastors here at First Methodist Midland. Usually my sidekick, Pastor Kurt, is here uh, with me. Um, we need to pray for Lisa, his wife. Y'all remember Kurt was sick last week, and Lisa caught that same thing, and she's it's turned into pneumonia for her, and uh, unfortunately. And so, uh, uh, so Kurt is by her side, making sure she is well looked after. Uh, appreciate your prayers for, for them. Um, our director of children's ministry, her name is Merit Dolan. Uh, maybe y'all know about her son, Rob, uh, who is going through uh, cancer treatment right now. Uh, they went for, uh, to start, uh, the, the first two rounds of, of, of chemo that he had that were, you know, it's hard to, hard to explain all this, but anyway, it goes A, A, B. Today was the first day of his first B round. So there's a little, okay, this is going to be different and a little apprehension on their part. Um, so we can pray for Rob and for the whole Dolan family, uh, as well. So tonight, just as you're, as we're going through Ezekiel, uh, if you'll hold them in your hearts, both of those families, uh, they would appreciate it. I know, um, we're playing a little, uh, Ezekiel judo tonight and chop it up if that's okay the next four chapters uh, as I was talking to Kurt this afternoon um, it's like his wheelhouse uh, because it's uh, God's pronouncement of judgment over Egypt and I can't do that uh, that's Kurt's job and so uh, so we're going to hold those four chapters uh, for when Kurt gets back next week but we're going to skip ahead uh, to chapter 33 and, um, and I think that's going to work for us. But before we get to that, just kind of open up your Bibles and close it. And uh, we're going to pray through Psalm 127. It's got some, it's actually the Psalm of the, Psalm of the week if you follow the lectionary readings. And uh, so Psalm 127 has some language very similar to what we're going to be digging into in Ezekiel 33 tonight. Let's see if you can notice the uh, resemblances as we go through that chapter. Let's pray. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stand watch in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat. For he grants sleep to those he loves. Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a, a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in the court. And Lord, we do come before you tonight with expectant hearts of what you uh, desire to do in us through your word and Lord, I pray that each heart and each mind in this room tonight is open and receptive to that which comes from you, which we believe and trust is good. And I pray that where we fail to see that it is good, that there will be a shift in our soul tonight. Lord, we pray for Lisa and her lungs, pray for healing and restoration and strength for her and 
Lord, as Kurt and Jason look after her, Lord, we pray for Rob tonight as he continues his battle with cancer and just pray for grace for Mara and Jean and their whole family as they are contending by his side. Lord, we just pray and hope and trust for full and complete healing for him. Thank you for our time together tonight in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. All right. So Ezekiel chapter 33. Uh, if you'll remember, if you'll flip back over um, to chapter 24. So chapters 25 through 32. Remember, that's kind of an, a, a little bit of a side. If you'll see where we are on our chart here, chapters 12 through 24, it's God's pronouncing judgment on Israel uh, for their idolatry, right? For their mistreatment of, of the, that they abuse people for unjust gain and for giving their children over uh, to sacrifice, right? Sacrificing their children in the fire. That's the main issues that, that God is pronouncing judgment on Israel. So here, 25 through 32 is God's pronouncement of judgment on the nations. Um, Tyre, we talked about last week, and Egypt, Kurt will pick us back up next week and we'll, we'll backtrack. But here's where we are tonight. Um, Remember, at the end of this section here, what significant happens in Ezekiel's life? What was that? His wife died. And as you, as you kind of look at that there at the end of chapter 24, um, just, and, and I'm sure that there's people in the room who have lost their spouses, right? And we try to say the right words, Right, whenever we're trying to help people grieve, but really when we lose somebody close to us, it's silence. And that is what Ezekiel is during this period, uh, right, relative to the Israelites, Ezekiel is silent. And God said that there's going to be something that is going to happen that then your mouth will be opened again and you will begin to speak. Remember what it was? A fugitive was going to show up from Jerusalem. Right? So he says this all the way back uh, at the end of chapter 24, that a fugitive was going to show up from where? From Jerusalem to announce that all that Ezekiel said was true. That the city was going to fall and that the temple was going to be destroyed. All right, the back half of Ezekiel 33, uh, the front, front half is like, okay, Ezekiel, you've been silent. And now we got to remind you who you are and what your calling is. And so we're going to have a lot of repeat from chapter 3. Uh, when God was getting Ezekiel, in essence, warmed up for his ministry as a prophet. That a prophet succeeds when they... Speak for God, right? When does a prophet fail? Two times, two ways they fail. When they say they're speaking for God and they're speaking for somebody else, but in essence they're lying, or they say nothing at all, right? 
And that's the temptation, especially when you're asked to say and do things that Ezekiel is asked to say and do. It's to not do it at all. And so there's basically a re, you might call it a recommissioning here in chapter 33 of, uh, of Ezekiel's ministry as a prophet. And then this fugitive is going to show up and there's just a lot. This, this, is a, this is actually one of those chapters that says, okay, I can look at this and this makes some sense and can expose some stuff in our hearts that may need to change. So let's check it out. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, speak to your people and say to them, when I bring the sword against a land and the people of the land choose one of their men and make him their watchman. Remember, um, cities in ancient Israel, they were walled, they had walls. So envision the walled city that people would go out it, during the day. They would farm their land, their, their, their family allotment of land. They would farm it at night. They would come back in, the gates would be shut, and supposedly the walls would keep you safe. So during the day and during the night, there would be a watchman that would stand on the wall and watching for the cloud of dust in the distance of an army approaching. And what does one do when they see an army approaching? You blow the horn, a ram's horn. They would blow the horn. And, but what if the watchman sees and they think, eh, Maybe he's going to the neighboring city, and he doesn't blow the horn, and he miscalculates. And they end up showing up, and the farmers are out in the field, and they can't get to safety, and they die. Who's responsible for that? The watchman. But if the watchman blows the horn when he sees the cloud of dust, and the people say, Ah, oh, I've heard that horn before, and no one has showed up. I'm just going to keep farming. Then who's responsible when the army shows up? Yeah, the person who ignored the horn in the first place, right? You know, that's, one of, that's one of, been one of the uh, struggles that the exiles have had. It's like, oh, surely, <laughs> surely God is not going to let Jerusalem be destroyed. There's no way. Our life here is horrible. I just want to go back. I just want to go back to Jerusalem where, where, where things are good. And all along, Ezekiel is trying to build the case. It's not good there. That that is not where you want to be. Where is the presence of God when Ezekiel is giving the word to the people in exile in Babylon? Where is the presence of God? Remember, it was there. It had left Jerusalem. It was the presence of God was meeting these people where they were at. And they were missing it because they wanted to go. They had their eyes back on where they thought God's presence was. All right. Verse 3, and he sees the sword coming against the land and blows the trumpet to warn the people. Then if anyone hears the trumpet but does not heed the warning and the sword comes and takes their life, their blood will be on their own head. 
since they heard the sound of the trumpet but did not heed the warning, their blood will be on their own head. If they had heeded the warning, they would have saved themselves. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet to warn the people and the sword comes and takes someone's life, that person's life will be taken because of their sin. That, that person's life will be taken because of their sin. But I will hold the watchman accountable uh, for their blood. Verse 7. In case Ezekiel doesn't remember, he makes it clear. Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the people of Israel. So hear the word I speak and give them a warning from me. When I say to the wicked, you wicked person, you will surely die. And you do not speak out to dissuade them from their ways. That wicked person will die for their sins. And I will hold you accountable for their blood. But if you warn the wicked person to turn from their ways, and they do not do so, they will die for their sin, though you yourself will be saved. Flip back just real quick. Keep your finger there. Just flip back to Genesis chapter 4. Now, you're, you're probably familiar with the story of Cain and Abel, and um, we're going to pick up in the story in verse 9. Um, Cain has just murdered his brother Abel, and uh, the Lord asked, verse 9, the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied, am I my brother's keeper? I don't know if Kurt and I did, did Pastor Kurt and I did a good enough job of during our sermon series last month. Uh, remember in Genesis two fifteen that Adam is placed in the garden to do two things. Does anybody remember what those two things are? Yes, just actually the order is to serve and protect. It's okay. That's all right. And the the Hebrew words are avad and shamar. Good, y'all are getting it. This is the second use in the Bible of the word shamar. Whenever God says, whenever Cain says, am I my brother's keeper? And what is God implying by the question? Damn right. Right? That's how I made you. Like, that's how I made your dad, that's how I made your mom, and that is how huma human beings, that, that is how they are to be in the world. They are to be one another's keepers, protectors. That we do not live life to the fullest. You might even make the argument that our life is diminished. Because that's what Avad is. Avad is bringing forth life right? That life is diminished without the other, right? That we are, that our spirituality is not a, a solo event. 
but that we need each other. And if we're going to kind of follow in Ezekiel's path here at all, we are, need to be people who speak truth into each other's lives. We are each other's keeper, right? And so this is, this is what, what God is trying to remind Ezekiel of, that there is a lot on the line as his role as a prophet here. And, you know, you get, we get the, the you know, we hear, hear about that Jesus was our prophet, our priest, and our king. Well, we are those three things too. We rule, Genesis chapter 1. We priest, we serve and protect, Genesis chapter 2. And here, like Ezekiel, uh, we help people to, uh, we, we point, we help people to be aware of the ways in which they may be, may be wandering from God. Can I say it like that? And we're not good at it, folks. And the reason that we're not good at it is we are also very aware of our own sinfulness, and we don't want to come across as judgy. But what if we, what if it looked like this? What if we were intentional about giving each other permission? Like I've done this with y'all before. If you see me living my life in a way that is not in line with me being made in the image of likeness of God, I give you permission to gently point that out to me. I may get defensive for a second, but if I'm in a good spot, I will hear you and I will work to adjust, right? What if we give each other permission? Something to think about. Verse 10, son of man, say to the Israelites, this is what you are saying. Our offenses and sins weigh us down. And we are wasting away because of them. See, this is what's on the line. Is this a person who is being filled with life or losing life? And, and it's, it's like beholden to the keeper, each other, to say, hey, you're not being you. How then can we live? Say to them, as surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord. Listen to this. I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their ways and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. Why will you die, people of Israel? So you need to, under, un, you need to highlight that, underline it. Um, this is the main word for all of the prophets. For all of the hard, you know, we've been carrying this metaphor of a heroin addict uh, through this study, right? For all of the hard that it is to confront the brokenness in the lives of people, um, it is to, and, and as hard as the book of Ezekiel has been, the whole purpose of the book, as is always the purpose of God's wrath, is to try to help us to get to this place where we turn. It may be repent in your Bibles. The word in Hebrew is shuv. So the way I remember it is when my kids are going, when especially the twins are going one way, and I want them to go another way. Shoo, 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 shoo. 
That is the work that we have in each other's lives. That when each other's lives are wasting away because of rebelliousness against God, we shoo, shoo, shoo. This is not how you're made. This is not how you're made to live. Let's go in a different direction. Shoo, shoo, turn, turn. Because it is not God's desire. And we'll get, get into some of this down in, in, later in the chapter. We get confused. We, we, we take on this narrative as we, we face adversity and difficulty in our life that God takes delight in seeing us struggle. That God is kind of looking down on us and he's, he, he's just ready to jump on us when we make a mistake. This is not the God of the Scripture. The God of the Scripture desires us to live and to live fully and abundantly in Him. And that is why there is this invitation to turn away. In Ezekiel's context, to turn away from sacrificing your kids, to turn away from exacting things out of people that aren't yours to exact out of them. Uh, and to turn away from all forms of trusting in other things other than God. That's my like 50 cent defini- enculturated definition of sin, of, of idolatry, is that trusting in something else t- to give you value, meaning, and significance in your life other than God. Any questions? Therefore, verse 12, son of man, Say to your people. Do you get that? Whose people are they? <laughs> He's, the, he, God, God pulls these word tricks every once in a while. He, he did this to, uh, to Moses on the mountain way back in Exodus after they had, had made the golden calf. God started calling those, the people of Israel Moses' people. And so it's, God's using those same tricks here to get Ezekiel's attention. It's like, whoa, whoa, God. <laughs> these are your people. Is one thing I would assume Ezekiel would have thought. Uh, these are yours. Say to your people, if someone who is righteous disobeys, that person's former righteousness will not count for nothing. And if someone who is wicked repents, that person's former wickedness will not bring condemnation. The righteous person who sins will not be allowed to live even though they were formerly righteous. If I tell a righteous person that they will surely live, but then they trust their righteousness to do evil, none of the righteous things that that person has done will be remembered. They will die for the evil they have done. And if I say to the wicked person, you will surely die, but they then, there's the word again, Shuv, turn away from their sin and do what is just and right. If they give back what they took in a pledge for a loan, return what they have stolen, follow the decrees that give life and do no evil, that person will surely live. They will not die. None of the sins that the person has committed will be remembered against them. They have done what is just and right, and they will surely die live
in a lot of those passages beginning in verse 12 through 16. I want you to ponder this question. Thinking about your life with God, thinking about your life with others, maybe your spouse, your kids, some friends, what is the most important moment in your life with them? Any thoughts? Like when I think about my life with Elena, maybe when we got married, or maybe when I, when I asked her to marry me and she said yes, maybe our wedding, maybe when we had our first, when we had our kids, maybe that's the most important. Or my life with God. Whenever I was at Cedar Canyon in the fourth grade and gave my life to Jesus as my Savior and Lord. None of those are. The most important moment in our life with God and our life with others is right now. It is in the moment. Come on. That we can't, we can't look back on our past and say, I had everything good then and I, I trusted in God, but man, whoo, I just don't think he's going to be able to pull through here, so I got to go out on my own. That the, the faith in the past is supposed to push you through the problems of the present, not invite you to revert back to a way in which you were before. The most important moment in our life with God is right now. I believe that's what Ezekiel is hearing from God in this moment. Remember where these people are. They're in exile. They're wanting to go home. And uh, still a long struggle. It's 12 years since they've left home. Um, at, the, at the end of a sword, uh, what in the world is next? So, you're in this place and you're struggling to continue to trust in God. Stress is high. Um, circumstances are challenging. You've been there lately? I mean, this is like life, right? Um, what are your options? Verse 17. Yet your people say, the way of the Lord is not just. So we blame God. We blame God for the problems that, that God's way is not fair. This is like when, we're, when you're thinking about the ways in which we rebel against God. Um, I think it all gets back to a lack of trust in God's goodness. And then that is that is connected to um, a belief that we, uh, that in our life with God and in this world, we view the world through the lenses of scarcity. Now, you go back to Genesis 1 and 2, is that a false narrative or a true narrative? The perspective of scarcity. No. We live in a world of abundance. That there is enough. 
Just think about how much sin and hurt and pain is in the world because we view the world through the lenses of scarcity. It's just about everything. The world crumbles when we don't think there is enough to go around, right? God, your way is not fair. And we point fingers at God. But, Ezekiel goes on to say, but it is their way that is not just. If a righteous person turns from their righteousness and does evil, they will die for it. And if a wicked person turns away from their wickedness and does what is just and right, they will live by doing so. Yet, you Israelites say, the word of the Lord is not just. But I will judge each of you according to your own ways. And as they're sitting on the the banks of the river, um, hearing this from Ezekiel, um, knowing what they have gone through all of these years, that's that's kind of where their struggle is. Is um, is God still worth following, even though He's allowed us to go into to uh, to exile? Is God still worth following, relative to the news that they're fixing to hear from this fugitive? Is it still worth it to keep trusting in God, or do we need to go our own way? That's what's on the line here, and Ezekiel is charged with being the one to say, no, 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 no. It's always worth it, no matter the circumstances, no matter what your eyes may tell you, no matter what's going on out here, it is always best to continue to root your life in our partnership with God. Any questions? Okay. Verse 21. In the twelfth year of our exile. So I've got a slide with some dates on it just to kind of keep us rooted. Uh, The book begins uh, in 597 or... A little, actually 592, but we know that it was five years before that they were exiled. So 597 B.C. is when the, uh, the, the people of Judah were exiled to Babylon. And King Jehoiachin, was, they, they, they let him live, and they took him to Babylon with the exiles. Now, some people still stayed back. And Zedekiah, y'all remember him, right? Zedekiah was then became the puppet king in Israel for the Babylonians. And then later on, uh, Zedekiah, he decides to um, ally himself with Egypt and try to get the Babylonians kicked out. It backfires. Uh, They kill Zedekiah's sons in front of him, and then they gouge Zedekiah's eyes out. Brutal, right? That happens in 587 B.C. And then here we are at 585 B.C. when the fugitive comes. So it's been 12 years. So notice, how long does it take to get the message from Jerusalem to Babylon uh, that that the temple has been destroyed? If you follow the timeline, it's two years. Just wanted to kind of show you that to kind of keep us keep us anchored in uh, 
the time that the way that is working its way through the book. <clears throat> in the twelfth year of our exile, in the tenth month on the fifth day, a man who had escaped from Jerusalem to me uh, came to me and said, "The city has fallen." It's like we knew this was happening. We knew this was. We knew that the temple was destroyed, right? But you, mu- it, it just must have been like just a punch in the gut. All along, God was saying that this was going to happen. It's going to happen, and then you get the news that it finally happens. Now, what's interesting is how this is structured. The fugitive comes, and then immediately Ezekiel takes a step back to the night before. It's almost as if God was stirring him up for this moment. Now, the evening before the man arrived, the hand of the Lord was on me, and he opened my mouth before the man came to me in the morning. So my mouth was opened, and I was no longer silent. This is the connection back to chapter 24 after his wife died. So there's a parallel with Ezekiel's wife dying and Jerusalem being destroyed. It's like, thanks God. Couldn't you have shown us some other way that this was happening besides taking the wife of the life of my wife? But that's that's the parallel. verse 23 then the word of the lord came to me son of man the people living in those ruins in the land of israel are saying so there's still people that are living not many temple's been destroyed people have been scattered there's still people living in the air and this still is what they are saying abraham was only one man yet he possessed the land but we are many surely the land has been given to us as our possessions it's like they're not they're not getting the message right therefore say to them this is what the sovereign lord says since you eat meat with the blood still in it and you look to idols and you shed blood should then should you then possess the land? He's rehearsing the whole book back to us again, just in that, in that one sentence, is that they've just seen their temple flattened, and yet they are persisting that they are still going to have possession of the land. And God's like, no, this, this, the covenant, you, you, you're not even paying attention to the basic tenets of the covenant. You're not eating kosher. Remember, there's a big thing all throughout the book about keeping Sabbath. And like keeping Sabbath, we struggle with that uh, in our highly driven world that we live in. But when you, to not keep Sabbath is basically saying, man, I got this. I, got, I, I, don't, I can take care of myself. I, I, I can make sure that my life and my, 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 my tribe and those who are important to me, they're protected because I can keep going. It's a big deal. Sabbath principle is big deal. All right. 
And then, of course, the other thing is idol worship and then uh, shedding of innocent blood. Um, yeah. Those types of people, they have idols in their lives. They are trusting in things to give them value, meaning, significance in their life other than God. Right? And those things lead to what? Death. Verse 26, you rely on your sword, you do detestable things, and each of you defiles his neighbor's wife. Should you then possess the land? Say this to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says, as surely as I live, those who are left in the ruins will fall by the sword. Remember, these people that he's saying this to, what do they want to do? They want to get back there. And God is trying to convince them, you know, maybe that, that there is not the best place to be. Maybe right here with me is. As surely as I live, those who are left in the ruins will fall by the sword. Those out in the country I will give to the wild animals to be devoured. Um, I think you can underline that. Um, remember God's purpose for us in the beginning to rule, what are we to rule over? The animals. And you see, when we give ourselves over to idols, the wild animals end up ruling over us. And those in strongholds and caves will die of the plague. I will make the land a desolate waste. And her proud, you can underline that, proud strength will come to an end. And the mountains of Israel will become desolate so that no one will cross them. Then they will know that I am the Lord. When I have made the land des a desolate waste because of all of the detestable things that they have done. Desolate waste. Name the place you've been that was a desolate waste. Anybody? Where? The southern part of Peru. All right. All desert, right? Wow. The southern part of Peru, uh, like a desert, not even a good bush. All right. Uh, I've driven from, uh, from here to uh, California before. When you get to California... Before you get to California, it's pretty bad there, right? That's a wasteland. So what's happened? How was the land described in the first five books of the Bible? A land flowing with milk and honey. A place of life. And when there is life, there is light. And that light was meant to draw all nations to know who God is. Oh Lord, bless us that your ways may be known in the whole world. And instead of, of uh, being captivated by God's ways, they became captivated by the ways of the nations around them. And instead of becoming a place of life-giving hope to all the nations, it is 
desolate. What's the hope? Verse 30. As for you, son of man, your people are talking together about you by the walls at the doors of the houses saying to each other, come and hear the message that has come from the Lord. Hmm. Do we have a crack here? Maybe. My people come to you as they usually do. And they sit before you to hear your words. Mm. But they do not put them into practice. Their mouths speak of love, but their hearts are greedy for unjust gain. Indeed, to them you are nothing more than one who sings love songs with a beautiful voice and plays an instrument well, for they hear your words, but do not put them into practice. When all this comes true, and it surely will, then they will know that a prophet has been among them. That sound familiar to you at all? Turn over to uh, Matthew chapter 7. Pastor Kurtz has, has a book on his desk that it's entitled, Jesus Didn't Say Anything New. <laughs> and uh, uh, I think I know where the writer is coming from. And um, this is certainly at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, just think about this. The end of the Sermon on the Mount, the most uh, dense longest speech that Jesus gave and he ends it like this and if this doesn't sound like what Ezekiel uh, just heard from God I don't know what is therefore everyone who hears these words this is verse 24 therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock the rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house. Yet it did not fall because he had a foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rains came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house. And it fell with a great crash so it seems as if uh, throughout these seven years now that Ezekiel was speaking to these people I mean remember where we've come from he's spending a year uh, out in the streets laying on his side cooking his food over poop yeah I'm gonna listen to a guy like that uh I mean, it's hard to even imagine. I mean, we would, it's like we would do the same thing. We would have the guy committed, right? And so it's like so far beyond like our frame of reference, uh, what, what Ezekiel was doing. But it seems as if people throughout that seven years, they were like, okay, maybe what he has to say is good. And then it's, let's just go listen to him. But they weren't taking it and allowing it to 
move them to a place of repentance. Now, it's one thing to hear the truth. It's another thing to respond to the truth. So the word in, in, in Greek um, that we often go to when we talk about uh, um, so Romans chapter 12 is a, is a great start. Uh, therefore, chapter 12, verse 1, therefore, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world. Just think about that. This is like age-old stuff that the Israelites in Ezekiel's day, they were conformed to the pattern of the nations around them, right? Do not be conformed uh, to this world, but be, what's the word? Transformed by the renewing of your mind. That word there, transformed, is metamorpho. You hear it from your biology classes, metamorphosis? Uh, it is literally, that, that means to change the way you think. That inherent in repentance turn, turn, is that there's got to be a change of mind that you were once thinking about life through the lenses of scarcity in one way, and now to put things into practice, you got to change the way you think. And mostly that means that you have to change the way that you think about God. And then that will lead you to change the way that you think about yourself and others. But to hear God's word and to not put it into practice, it leads to ruin. And hopefully, now, well, we're going to have to go back to Egypt next week. Uh, now that we've gotten past chapter 33, when we get down here to verse 34, mm, how do we really change the way that we think? And the... The theme, uh, the metaphor that is going to drive the, that, that the, last third, the last quarter of the book is that we have a heart of stone. And that heart of stone, if we give God permission, he'll take it out. And he'll put us, put back in a heart of flesh. And that will be what will make all the difference. So, until next time, ponder deeply. Am I right that the most important moment in your relationship with God and your relationship with others is right now? And if that is true, certainly that should make a difference in how we relate to God and we relate to each other. Questions? Let's pray. So Lord, as we wait on you in the moment, just in this moment, before we head back to the house, Lord, we just ask that if there is something that we have heard from you,
something that we have said, oh, that sounds good. That sounds right. But Lord, we're struggling to put it into practice. I pray that now, in this moment with you, that you will help us to change the way we think so as to have a new desire, a new discipline, a new delight in putting into practice what you call us to do and to be. To bring life into the dark places of this world. To protect life at all cost. Lord, help us to be people that give permission to one another to rebuke and to correct and help us to get comfortable doing that as a church family. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, love you guys. Good night. Grace and peace. Trap bones, right?